Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. HIV is still an issue in Montgomery County. The more open we're able to talk about HIV, we treat it like any other health prevention. PrEP stands for pre-exposure prophylaxis. People who are not HIV positive who may be at high risk for contracting the disease. This is a good choice for you. It's just a way for you to sort of take control and say, I'm going to do this to protect myself. Do it for them. Do it for you, Montgomery County. Learn more about PrEP, the HIV prevention medication. Visit doitforyoumc.org. Hey, everyone. Scott Hansen here from NFL Red Zone. I hope you're checking out one hour of Five Yard Rush, one of the best podcasts on NFL football in the U.K., Hello, Rush Nation. It's Rob filling in for Mayf on the Matchup Pod this week. I'll be going through all the fixtures this week, providing some insight and thoughts as well as the usuals, such as giving you the Vegas lines for each of the games. I finalised my rankings, which, let me tell you, took a long time. I've been trying to get them filled out every week, and I'm getting quicker, but it's still a handful. So, full respect to Murph and Stocks for doing that week in, week out. Just like previous episodes, the pod will be broken down into two parts. This first part will cover the Thursday night match between the Bucks and the Bears and also look at the early matches on the Sunday schedule. The later games and Monday night football will come in the second part. As usual, if you have any questions for the team before game day, be sure to get in touch on Facebook or Twitter as they can be answered as quickly as possible. So let's jump right in with the Tampa Bay Chicago game. The Vegas line for this game is Tampa at minus 5.5 and the over under is standing at 44. The Bucks have been putting up healthy amounts of points on their opponents, win or loss. Uh, my concern is that the Bears won't be able to help you meet the over. They struggled really badly against the Colts' defence, and the Bucks offer, in my opinion, a much more difficult challenge. So I'm swaying more towards the under here. Fantasy-wise, there are more options available on the Bucks' offence. I have Brady as a QB2 simply because of the likelihood of the game script going in Tampa's favour and the rush on fence stepping in to finish off the job. 
Forgive me if I'm wrong, but I have an inkling that this isn't going to be some closely fought shootout like the Chargers game. His receiving options have taken a battering in the last few weeks, so it will be interesting to see who suits up for them. The top four receivers didn't train on Tuesday, and as of Wednesday, just Godwin and Justin Watson have been ruled out of the game for this Thursday. So that leaves Mike Evans and Scott Miller as questionable. Evans was visually playing through an injury against the Chargers and did not practice on Wednesday, so I'd be surprised if he goes the whole game. Miller didn't seem as bad, so at present he's providing the best wide receiver fantasy option for the books. And if Evan does go down and joins Godwin on the sidelines, Scott Miller stands to see a lot of volume. I have him down as a low-end wide receiver one, if that happens. Running backs, and it's looking like Fournette will be a game-time decision. He's doubtful to play. In this economy, I think it'd be best for the books to rest him and go with Rojo as the lead. He's proven he can take the role. No point in rushing Fournette back. Jones saw nine targets against the Chargers and got over 100 yards rushing as well. So with the suggestion that Tampa turned to the ground later on in the game, I would expect another RB1 performance from him. Kishon Vaughan also did well on his introduction, so we may see more of him if Tampa looked to wind down the clock. McCoy is also out for the game, so Vaughan could take the snaps and carries left behind there too. The MRI scans for OJ Howard came back after he left last week's game, and sadly, it's another Achilles injury, so he is done for the season. So you know what that means? It might finally be time for Gronk season. This could all be dependent on Evan's contribution, but I have Gronk marked down as a tight end one for this week. And actually, he's my fourth overall in the rankings. Cameron Brake comes in as a tight end two, as he can provide another outlet as well. On the other side of the ball, for Chicago, there's not a lot to write home about. If Nick Foles can bounce back from the game against the Colts, then he could be in for QB2 fantasy numbers because it's likely that the Bears will be playing from behind. Obviously, his passing comes with risk as Tampa Bay have been incredibly efficient on defence. And Foles has already been intercepted twice in two games. Unfortunately, I feel that means that David Montgomery won't see as much action to warrant significant fantasy value. Normally, he could be considered a comfortable running back too, but the opponent's strong rush defence and game script really affect his value for me this week. Wide receivers and Alan Robinson is the best prospect that, that Chicago have got as usual. He's my personal wide receiver six for the week. He's seen 23 targets in two weeks, so you could assume he has a high fantasy floor available to him with Foles as his QB. Anthony Miller doesn't often see snaps when the Bears are in front, so he should see a decent number this week, as the Bears will likely be throwing to catch up. Looking at tight ends, and Jimmy Graham refuses to fade into the fantasy twilight. I have him as a borderline tight end 1-2, simply because he offers an outlet that nobody else seems to be able to pick up, particularly in the red zone. He has the most receiving touchdowns of the team so far, Second most targets as well. So he could well be in uh, for a good look to continue that touchdown streak. However, the books have been very good at covering the tight end. So he's not really a lot to get those tight end one points. Now on to the Sunday games where we start with the Panthers playing the Falcons. The Vegas line here is Atlanta at minus 2.5 and the over under is 53.5. Fantasy relevance could be a big thing in this game as there are likely to be points scored on both sides. Firstly, I have Teddy Bridgewater continuing that 70% plus accuracy and going for QB2 returns with QB1 upside. 
he seems to have developed a good connection with Robbie Anderson in particular. And I've got Anderson placing as a borderline wide receiver one, two. If he keeps up the hot streak, he has found three games of over 100 yards cannot be ignored, especially against this defence. DJ Moore doesn't seem to be getting the love that people expected. He's finding it difficult out there. And I'm having him on another bad day with wide receiver three numbers. It's not what people want to hear right now. There's a little rushing upside to Curtis Samuel, but he's not getting the looks from Bridgewater at the moment. And I don't think the difference those yards make to his receiving will be fantasy relevant. Mike Davis has come into his own after CMC's injuries. And I think he can get RB2 stats this week. The Falcons have kept 57% of opposing rushes to three yards or below. But I believe it will be the pass-catching option that will give Davis the extra boost. Davis has seen more targets than Samuel this season and has made seven yards for reception. So I would expect Teddy to keep using him in the passing game. Ian Thomas, tight end, hasn't really been a significant part of the game plan for the Panthers so far. A low level of five targets in four games. But he is a solid tight end two for me this week with upside possibilities due to the Falcons' defence he is facing. Atlanta have been awful at covering tight ends, conceding touchdowns to the position in all four games so far, including the three against Robert Tonyan last week. Thomas got a touchdown last week, showing he has been looked at in the progressions, and I think he's going to get used slightly more this time, particularly around the end zone. I think it'll be a high-scoring affair, so I believe Matty Ice will have QB1 numbers from the high volume of passing I'm expecting. I've also got him passing three touchdowns, which explains that boost up my rankings. However, none of these touchdowns go to Calvin Ridley. I think Green Bay did a fantastic job keeping the ball out of his hands, and the Panthers will no doubt try and do that again. As such, I've got Ridley at a wide receiver two slash three, and Jones as a mid-range wide receiver two. But only because I'm predicting that Jones will be the one that gets the touchdown. The Panthers have been the top 10 defence against wide receivers. Zacchaeus and Gage are likely touchdown dependent, but I have an inkling that they will also see the end zone on Sunday due to Ridley's coverage. Todd Gurley tops the Falcons running backs as a high to mid RB2. The Panthers have recovered well after that thumping from Josh Jacobs in week one and the Bucks in week two. They've only conceded one rushing touchdown in two weeks. So I think this stealing up of that rush defence could affect all Falcons running backs this week. None of the running backs have really got an involvement in the passing game either, so they don't offer much upside there. Hayden Hurst has been steadily getting more involved in the passing game, but ultimately it's not as much as everyone expected with his replacement of Austin Hooper. I still have him down as a target floor of five and getting Titan two numbers. The Bills are down to play the Titans, and there is already speculation as to whether this game goes ahead due to the possibility that Tennessee broke NFL COVID restrictions and trained together while their facility was closed. There have been more players testing positive with coronavirus this week, so the game's looking questionable to go ahead at the moment. So be on standby to take those players out of your team and have replacements to go in. If this game does go ahead, I have Josh Allen as my QB2 for the week. The Titans have got a tough defence, but that hasn't stopped Allen yet. The surprising thing about this year is that although he said he was going to use his feet less, he has had 25% of the carries, 
and three rushing touchdowns. So that side of the game is still there. But at his current touchdowns and interception rate, he is on course for 64 scores and just four picks. He's very exciting to watch, and I expect him to keep finding that success in Week 5. His connection with Stefan Diggs gives the wide receiver top-tier appeal, and I have Diggs as 11th positionally this week. John Brown should not be forgotten, though, and he is a good flex play as wide receiver three with upside. And Cole Beasley's lowest target number so far is four, so he has a good target floor as well. Gabriel Davis could be an option, but his value is touchdown dependent while you've still got those three wideouts ahead of him. Allen is also fond of looking at tight ends in the red zone. So anyone from Dawson Knox, Tyler Croft and Lee Smith could offer someone who might give you a touchdown if you're in a tight spot. Knox might offer the best value, but they're all reliant on touchdowns to offer any fantasy value at the moment. After the impromptu bye week, the Titans have returned. And if this game goes ahead, I'm slotting Derek Henry straight into an RB1 spot. He comes in at RB10 for this week. This is simply based upon the volume that Henry regularly gets, and Darrington Evans simply won't see a significant look-in to affect that. Another fantasy-relevant player is Johnny Smith. I've got him at fifth overall Titan this week. Tannehill has been picking Smith out of, them, out of those red zone areas, but he has also been a favoured target in general. A lot of fantasy owners will have him as a sleeper pick before the season start, and I guarantee they will have missed him from their lineups after that bumper opening period. Corey Davis would have been a hint here as a wide receiver too, and I would have had him and Adam Humphreys been targeted roughly the same amount, but both have been added to the COVID list as well as Cameron Batson. That leaves only a handful of untested rookies and squad players, and I will be fading all of them. This will really affect Ryan Tannehill's value at quarterback, and like those wide receivers, I actually have him down as a fade this week as well. The Vegas line for this game is questionable at the moment as the Titans are coming back off those coronavirus complications. So it is best to check your local betting site for what those numbers are closer to the game if it goes ahead. So moving on to the Raiders playing the Chiefs are ahead. The Vegas line for this one is Kansas at minus 13, which in my eyes could well be achievable. The over-under for this match is 56, which is the highest of the games in this part of the podcast. I think the Raiders are going to find it tough in this game. I mean, they might surprise us. I don't know. But it's unlikely that the Raiders will have good fantasy-relevant games. Josh Jacobs could be my highest. He's a high-to-mid RB2. But that's due to the yards I expect him to get. The Chiefs' defensive line are one of the worst at stopping the run at the line of scrimmage. My stats have them as 31st of 32 at tackles for no gain. As such, I think they will give up the yards but they have done a terrific job at keeping rushes out. They've only conceded two rushing touchdowns in four games. One was Justin Herbert, who was on Murph's stream team this week, and the other was David Johnson week one. Since then, they've kept out the Ravens and the Patriots. So I don't think Jacobs is getting in this week, hence why he is so low. Darren Waller is a Titan two for me as well, because he's got a good target floor. Ruggs and Edwards don't look to be back, although Ruggs has returned to training. So I'm expected Waller to be used as an outlet for Carr in this game. I've also got Hunter Renfro down as a wide receiver three with touchdown dependent upside. On the other side of the ball, I have the Chiefs touching a lot of the top 12 at their positions. Mahomes is my QB1 overall. I've got Edwards Hilaire as seventh overall and Kelsey as second overall. It's going to be a big game for those big offensive players. Hugely important. They are must-starts. Now Tyreek Hill. 
I've got him as my wide receiver two overall. And I believe this is a game where Hill will ball out for the Chiefs. He's been making some phenomenal catches on the run while he's been in the air. And it's likely that due to the game script, the Chiefs take the lead and then Mahomes hits him in the second half when the secondary move forward to stop that run game. I've also got Sammy Watkins down as a flex starter in case the coverage naturally drifts to Hill. Big things expected from the Chiefs as usual, and they should easily go 5-0. And perhaps more betting sites will pay out with them winning the division so soon in the season. The next game is the Cardinals at Jets. Vegas line here is Arizona minus 7, which I think is quite generous for that to be offered. I don't see this being a one-score game in favour of the Cards. This could be much more. The over-under is currently 47. And I've got Murray down as my fifth overall QB. His legs, they've been fantastic. Extending drives, finding the end zone, and I would likely count on him to do the same again this week. The Jets have been relatively solid with runs through the middle, but they are struggling with runs to the outside, particularly to the right of the offensive line. And those runs to the edge, it's where Murray thrives. I've also got Newt Hopkins bouncing back from last week's subpar performance for his standards. He should have a slightly easier defence to face this week as the Jets have conceded more points against QBs and wide receivers than the Panthers have. I've also got Christian Kirk to get more points than Fitzgerald this week, but they are both reliant on touchdowns to have any relevance in shallower leagues. Kenyon Drake is a mid-range RB2 as it stands, but he is just not making the impact that we saw at the end of last season. I know that Chase Edmonds was mentioned this week on the Waiver Wide podcast as one of Murph picks. He could make a good flex play particularly if he continues to see the volume of targets from Murray. Finally, Dan Arnold is a Titan too. He looks to see several targets in the game, and this could be useful if the secondary covers the wide receivers and leaves the gaps for Arnold to drift into. The big news from the Jets is that Darnold is out. Flacco is in. Whether this is from the shoulder injury from last week or Adam Gase trying something new, it's uncertain. This doesn't make things any better in my opinion and I have Flacco as my lowest QB on the list this week. He is fade for me. Le'Veon Bell looks to return on Sunday and he might get RB2 figures as he can be involved in the passing game as well. The Cards have only conceded two rushing touchdowns though so far this season so it could be tough for him to find the end zone that way. Aside from Bell, there's not a lot of other fantasy relevant players this week. Jamison Crowder is the best option of the wide receivers but I have him and Berrios down at wide receiver three with touchdown dependent upside. Titans Ryan Griffin and Chris Hearn are both fades for me. In desperation I prefer Griffin over Herndon as it stands. Looking at the Eagles and Steelers the Vegas line is Pittsburgh at minus seven with the over under at 44. I started out being concerned about how the Eagles were going to do in this game and I've wound up even more convinced that the Steelers are going to steamroll them. There's only a handful of Eagles players I would even consider starting this week. Zach Ertz is my overall Titan 3 behind Kitlin Kelsey, and he is going to be vital in this match with all those offensive injuries. That wide receiver group is banged up, and Ertz will need to fill those targets. I've also got Greg Ward down as a wide receiver too. He, uh, his in-routes have been very useful as an outlet for Wentz, and that has helped move drives forward. I think they'll need the same again this week against that Steelers D. Unfortunately for me, Miles Sanders is an RB3. Game script, arrested opponent, and a beaten up O-line are three factors that are all against him, and I might even consider fading him 
if you have any questions between him and viable alternatives on the bench. On a side note, positives for the Eagles. I've also got Richard Rogers as a stash if people are really looking for a replacement in the future. His snaps rose to 35% in week three after got its injury. And although they stayed roughly the same in week four, we saw double the targets. As long as wide receivers are out, we may well see him fill the Dallas Goddard role if this usage continues to grow. The Eagles do like the two tight end usage. Looking at the Steelers side, there are a lot more viable fancy options. I've got James Conner using the bye week to rest up and come back strong for an RB one week. I've got him as sixth overall in my list. It's difficult to put one of his backups as being fantasy viable as they are all eating each other's plays at the moment. Big Ben looks to be having a QB two week and that's even with the game script heading towards the ground game. I've got Juju as a wide receiver two floor with big upside. It's been nice to see him back and eating up the yards. There's no reason he can't do it again. I put Deontay Johnson down as a flex play at wide receiver three. Finally, Eric Ebron is a tight end two slash three for me this week. He's been looking for a bigger role, but I think this game goes against him. If you've got a better option, I'd hesitate in putting him into your lineup this week. The LA Rams go to Washington and the Vegas line is the Rams at minus 7.5 and the over under is 45.5. Despite this, I think there's viable fantasy options on both sides of the ball, which might be surprising for some to hear. Starting with the Rams and whoever gets the nod for the most carries will be a mid-range RB2. Whether it's Brown or Henderson, I've opted for Brown, but it is difficult to say, so I'd prefer to lock them in at a flex position and take the risk there. It's another tough choice between Robert Woods and Cooper Cup as well. Both are surefire starts, but I think it's Woods rushing upside that clinches the higher position for me. Having said that, Washington did intercept Lamar Jackson last week, so there's something to be aware of there. I've got Goff as a QB2 this week. He has got the potential for a high ceiling, but I much prefer to use him in a super flex and rely on someone else in a one QB league. Finally, Tyler Higby is my Titan 9 this week, and I'm fading Everett. Although he scored a rushing touchdown, that fumble could have really swung it in favour of Higby, being the ironclad Rams starting tight end from here on out. For Washington, I've got Antonio Gibson down as a borderline RB1-2 this week. He had an amazing pass-catching game last week against the Ravens, which helped him over 100 yards in total. But I think he's going to find more success on the run this week. The Rams ranked last in stopping plays at the line of scrimmage. In four games, they've only stuffed eight runs, so it could be good news for Antonio on the ground. I've also got Scary Terry as my fourth overall wide receiver this week. Not a lot of other options here for the QB to throw to, and he is just so shifty. He's made 198 yards after the catch, which is second to only Newt Hopkins this year. As someone said recently, he's a set-and-forget kind of character. The Rams have only conceded one touchdown to wide receivers, but if there's one man who can get the second, it's going to be Scary Terry. Logan Thomas is someone else who I've got as a Titan 2 this week. The Washington offense have used him a lot this season, so his volume alone puts him in that position. As for Haskins... It was announced yesterday that he is being benched for this match. His performance was not enough to save him. Kyle Allen will get the start instead, but neither of them is someone I want to be setting my lineups. It's a fade from me. Just two more games to talk about. Bengals at the Ravens first. 
Baltimore are heavy favourites to win this one. The Vegas line is the Ravens at minus 13, and the over-under is 51. And to be honest, I can see this one going to the Ravens already. As such, I think Mixon's output is going to drop off the cliff this week, and I only have him down as an RB2 slash 3. That game script will not allow him the carries he got last week, and Baltimore will be on him very quickly. What this does mean, however is that Joe Burrow will be aiming to play Cincy back into the game. And this could mean steady yardage, throwing touchdowns, and plenty of designed quarterback runs. I've placed him as a QB1, the ninth overall for me this week. It could be seen as a bit of a gamble, but he should be considered based on him playing from behind. He's looking calm and collected, and looks to have started ironing out some of those mistakes he's made in a few outings. AJ Green has been faded again this week. Burrow has been choosing other options in this passing game. So I've got T. Higgins as my highest receiver for the Bengals this week, uh, wide receiver two, and Boyd is just behind him. The volume available will hopefully boost the yards of pickup and a touchdown would boost those figures even more. Drew Sample is also a tight end two this week. His targets have been very up and down, but that increased passing volume should see him getting more opportunities this week. If the Bengals are getting all the passing action, then will the Ravens be running the ball more? Lamar Jackson did not practice on Wednesday due to a knee injury, but he is currently my fourth overall quarterback this week. The injury status does make me question whether he'll be playing the full game, but I have no doubt he will be playing. And I believe he'll be also setting an example for the Heisman Trophy winner by running in a touchdown of his own this week. As for the backfield behind him, it's tough to say which way this is going to go. But seeing as though they should be playing ahead for most of the game, there could be chances for all three of the main backs to see action. I've got Dobbins as the low-end RB2, with Ingram and Gus Edwards just behind. But this is simply based on the rotation over the last few weeks. They have been very good at eating each other's carry times. Um, But there's definitely upside for all three of them. Um, I'm actually fading most of the Ravens wide receivers, but Hollywood Brown is the one I have highest on my list as wide receiver three. Mark Andrews is a Titan 2 for me this week. Jackson loves to use him regularly, and he's a red zone weapon. So this does give that tight end one upside. Nick Boyle's further down. I just don't see him getting the same looks when the Ravens are playing in front. Our final early game is the Jags playing the headless Texans. Head coach, play caller, and general manager Bill O'Brien got sacked earlier on this week with the Houston team on 0-4 and for the season. Due to this happening, it will be interesting to see what happens over the next month or so, as they have lost three big positions with just one sacking. The Vegas line still has Houston on minus seven as it stands, and the over-under line is 54.5. I actually think the Jags could strike and take this game if they have the wits about them. Fantasy-wise, I've still got Deshaun Watson as a high-end QB2, as I think he'll do okay against the Jags' defence. Watson is experienced enough not to let the game get away from him, even without O'Brien there. David Johnson is down as an RB3 as it stands. He hasn't really been able to make it work for him so far, but there is upside for him here. I think he may actually benefit from a change in leadership and the Jags rank 27th in conceding fantasy points against running backs. As for other outfield players, I'm hesitant to start any of them as it stands due to the big change in personnel. The Jags have been good against covering wide receivers so far this season. I've still got Brandon Cooks and Kenny Stills down at wide receiver three, and I've got Will Fuller as a flex option as it stands, and both tight ends are touchdown dependent.
the Jags could actually benefit from what's happening in Houston. And I have several Jacksonville players creeping into the top 12 spotting positions. James Robinson holds the highest. And I have him as my RB4 overall. The Texans have struggled to contain the run through the most offensive channels, and they have been worst in conceding runs over 11 yards. In four weeks, they have conceded 20 runs of that length or more, which is three more than the team in second. This game is a perfect chance for Robinson to rack up those yards. I've got Minshew down as a QB1 as well, and he is actually 10th overall in my standings. With DJ Chark, Robinson and LaVisca Chenault, there, they can form a great primary receiver group. And Chris Conley and Keenan Cole are more than capable backups. It could be time to see Minshew Mania, and playing the Rudless Texans should be a perfect time to do it. If he can keep picking up yards with his feet as well, that's going to help his value too. I've got Chenault and Chark as starts this week, and I actually fancy LaVisca to see wide receiver one numbers if Chark is the one being covered. Tight ends of the Jags are not fantasy relevant as it stands in week five. I fully expect the targets to be going elsewhere. Well, that's the end of part one. Good luck to those staying up to watch the Thursday night game. Check those lineups before the game as play news could come out after this episode, but it should be another entertaining Thursday night game. I'll be back with part two on Friday. Until then, Rush Nation, keep rushing. a long, healthy life if you're HIV positive. With the current treatments, we can get patients down to being undetectable. The array of options is so much greater today. U equals U. Undetectable equals untransmittable. If someone who's HIV positive, they're taking their medication, they're undetectable, they're not able to pass HIV to their partners. Do it for you, Montgomery County. Your HIV treatment is their prevention. Get more information at doitforyoumc.org. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.